Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Welcome to Leftover Podcast. I'm the CEO and founder, Rory, and my assistant today is Arjan. Hello. And we have a very special guest today. It's Alex Marshall, president of the Independent Workers of Great Britain. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining, man. Great to have you on. Uh, so today we're talking about the gig economy. Uh, I worked, uh, well, I still work for Deliveroo. I've been part of the union for about four years. Uh, Alex is... Uh, president of the Independent Workers of Great Britain. He has been for about eight years. Uh, so why don't you tell us a bit about the, the union and uh, what you do, Alex? Yeah, of course. So yeah, just a minor correction there. Like I've been a member for probably about five, six years now. Um, prior to becoming president in November, I was a member yeah. of the, the couriers branch, just like you. Um, I was yeah. a, I was a courier who sort of... Well, before I was a courier, I was someone who sort of saw these people buzzing around London, thought, that looks pretty sweet. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, I like riding my bike, wouldn't mind riding sure. my bike and getting paid. So I, I became a courier and I quite quickly realized that, you know, the flexibility and the sort of working when you want and the freedom wasn't quite, you know, what, 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 what was being sold to me. It was a bit of a Venus flytrap because before you know it, you know, it becomes your your sole means of income and you have various overheads and you're not getting that flexibility. You're not getting those holidays and all yeah. of these kind of things. So I started organizing, um, as a courier, had some, some great successful campaigns while I was chair of the branch. And then in November, I became president of the independent workers of Great Britain. For those of you that don't know about, um, this incredible union, um, we're a union that kind of spawned from, a group of cleaners who weren't getting represented well at the University of London. Um, they were members of a, you know, bigger union. Um, and they felt like they weren't getting represented. Um, they were getting hammered and it came to a point that they weren't actually getting paid their wages. And they decided to organize a wildcat strike and they got their money. And off the back of that, they formed this, this small union, which was representing the sort of underrepresented in the trade union movement. And from the, off the back of that, we founded a cleaners branch. We founded the couriers branch, private hire drivers branch. And today we now have 12 branches. We have over 6,000 members. Um, we're still in terms of, you know, in comparison to some of the, the bigger unions around the UK, we're still relatively small. But you wouldn't have thought that from the amount of headlines that we grab and some of the kind of these huge kind of international corporations that we're going toe to toe with, you know, the likes of Deliveroo, Uber, huge outsourcing companies um, that, you know, we're we have to be super aggressive. You know, we don't because of the workers that we represent, we can't really offer that much in terms of representation in, in sort of, you know, individual 
disputes where you know if you were an employee you'd call on your kind of the legal staff to come in and sit there for a disciplinary but because of the emergence of the gig economy um, these people are fired at the click of a button so we have to be super rowdy super aggressive we have to campaign hard um, to get people reinstated to get pay rises um, you know so it is it's it's a fantastic union to be part of it's very campaign driven it's very member-led, which I absolutely love about it. You know, as the chair of the branch, um, I wasn't elevated from the members. It was very much joint decisions, collective action, and just hammering the shit out of, you know, some of these really yeah. <laughs> big exploitative companies that just treat treat workers as disposable. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, you guys have had some pretty notable successes uh, recently as well, and I think it'll be really great to, to come back to some of those. Uh, some of those later on but um yeah i think like before we sort of get too far ahead of ourselves you know we've been talking a lot i guess about the gig economy and gig workers and things like that but and i guess it's 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 a topic which has been you know uh talked about quite a bit it's something that's come especially to the forefront during the pandemic but you know um what do we exactly mean when we're talking about gig workers what what makes a gig worker specifically different from, let's say, just another worker who's working in a you know precarious zero hours contract. Let's say. So I mean, the, the the kind of it's quite 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 a subtle clue, but the clues in the title. I mean, they they describe the work that they're doing as a series of gigs. So you know, it's like they've managed to divide up sort of what work is considered into. You know, you're only working while you're doing a job. And they describe these as a series of like little gigs that you're kind of performing for a company. But, you know, we know as we, you know, as workers who've worked in the gig economy that, you know, you're working from the moment you leave your house. You're available, yeah, yeah. You're, you're available to work. You're not doing stuff that you would be doing if you weren't at work. Um, mm -hmm. and, but, but for some, somehow they sort of managed to get away with this sort of bogus, um, employment sort of structure and it has just absolutely blossomed and it's sort of you know I always say that this is kind of like a pandemic that we've been fighting since the gig, gig yeah. economy came about that's been spreading you know not just private hire drivers not just couriers that people are so accustomed to kind of you know this click of a button working for them we're now seeing it pop up with cleaners being hired and fired at the through an app we're now seeing nannies um, all sorts of different beauticians, you know, I'm hearing about this as well, where people are working through apps and you're only mm -hmm. working while you're doing the job. You know, you'd never think of going to the pub and thinking, you know, the person pulling you a pint is only getting paid while they're pouring that pint. But for mm -hmm. some reason in the gig economy, it's considered okay for these huge companies to only pay people while they actually have a job in their bag or a passenger in their car for the time that they're delivering them to their destination. Um, and that's basically the gig economy. You know, it was this concept that has just, because there was no regulation of it, because there was no kind of, you know, there was no employment like law enforcement. It's just absolutely boomed. And because it's been driven by huge investment, um, yeah. it's kind of, um, you know, turned into this beast that's, you know, we're one of the main unions that's trying to tame it. And we're having some wins while doing that. Yeah, um, so the, the gig yeah. economy really took off after the 2007-2008 crash. Uh, I don't know if you remember it, but there was this huge uh, monetary uh, response uh, 
one of the biggest monetary uh, sort of printing uh, stimuluses in in history. There wasn't really like a fiscal response to go through that. I don't I don't know if you can remember. There was no there was no uh, sort of check to the American or British people like we saw with the the pandemic recently. So what what this did is it just pumped so much money into the economy, which was just lapped up by huge corporations, and it brought the brought the interest rates down to about zero. Uh, well, it was, it was negative interest rates in parts of Europe as well. So all these massive companies with stashes of this huge amount of cash, many of them in offshore finance, you know, tax havens, they they were searching for a for an outlet to pump all this cash into, which will give them a better return. And so there was this uh, massive increase in venture capitalism when it got to around 2010, 2011. Uh, every there was so every app was claiming to be you know like the Uber of whatever you know the, this this startup culture emerged and that this um the, this became the new outlet this new this new form of platform capitalism came to the fore and I think um, something worth mentioning as well is that oftentimes when it comes to gig workers and you know when it comes to things like delivery or Uber and things like that as well that uh, the workers themselves are not classified as employees and i mean until recently when some changes have been happening and you know some uh, quite landmark cases have been won but for the longest time the reason they could get away with such absurd exploitative practices is because they could get around pretty much every single labor law that exists yeah. because um because of these loopholes and they could basically call their people not their actual employees but rather private contractors and that obviously leads to its whole legal minefield in its own sort of set of complications doesn't it yeah one of the things that's like really you know quite cynical and, and sinister about this this whole situation is you've got kind of the ceos of some of these big companies the likes of will Shu, who was actually an investment banker you know these are people who were responsible for that huge crash and they're the ones who are yeah. kind of coming out and you know after delivery's recent ipo have like built yeah. up huge wealths off the back of that crash and are still capitalizing yeah. on that sort of, you know, fragile nature. Um, and like you said, you know, they know damn well um, what they're doing. They know that they're exploiting loopholes. They're inserting clauses into um, these sort of, you know, really drawn out contracts that are, you know, sort of laced with double speak. You know, they, they're just, they're, they're literally there as a way to kind of, squeeze as much out of the workers and deny them as much as possible in terms of employment rights so you know you've got in the uk uh, what, what a lot of people don't know about is that there is this middle category so you've got your you know most people think you're either an employee or you're self-employed and if you're self-employed you know you own your own business um, usually you're paid a bit of a premium rate because you know you only work a few days here and there you get you know larger sums of money because you're not working continuously throughout the year you have your own tools yeah. you have your own vehicle you have all of these things and then you have an employee you know which people tend to think of nine to five going to an office working for a big business yeah. but in the uk you've got this middle category which is a it's called a limb b worker because the limb a is the independent contractor limb b mm -hmm. is this worker and as a worker you're still self-employed but it's the way you're integrated into the business um, that means you still remain self-employed, however, you're afforded certain rights. And the whole kind of basis of the gig economy is 
desperately trying to convince, you know, judges, workers that, you know, these people are in fact independent contractors. And what we've seen with the recent Uber ruling is hopefully going to be the start of a domino effect as, you yeah. know, judges are just saying, you know, enough's enough. You know, these guys are clearly integrated into business. They're not running their own micro businesses. You know, they're not doing a series of mini gigs. These guys are workers at the very least. They're very much integrated into your business. You're not just providing a service that links people, you know, like an agent or something. You know, this no. is your, this is your business. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're starting to see the turning point of the gig economy. And we're not just seeing this in the UK. We're starting to see it kind of popping off all around Europe, all around the world as people start to close in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's that, that's what the gig economy is built on, you know, and it's almost like, you know, sort of 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, being self-employed wasn't, wasn't a bad thing. You know, you'd be making quite yeah. good rates. You'd kind of choose when you work, but now it's been so corrupted into, you know, basically self-employed means you're denied all rights. You're paid as little as possible and you don't have a leg to stand on when your employer does something awful to you. Um, and that's what yeah. we're kind of pushing back against as a union. We're collectivizing these issues. We're getting good membership density and we're hitting back at the companies to say, no, you can't terminate me for no reason. No, I deserve holiday pay. I deserve a pension um, and all these kind of things. So, yeah, it's just, you know, even with the delivery, with delivery, I mean, we, the IWGB was taking them to court. Um, and literally a couple of days before the court case, they inserted the substitution clause, which means that you're allowed to send a substitute in your place. So someone can essentially use your account instead of you. And, th and that was enough to basically say, get the judge to go, okay, well, yeah, maybe that's the tipping point that makes these guys independent contractors. You know, I know from experience that most of the time, no one lends their account to anyone. Because Has anyone ever done that? I, I always, yeah, that, it's so obviously just a loophole, isn't it? Like, yeah. why, why would you give someone your account like that? It's not, it's not something that happens at all. Well, there's, there's, there's two things here. I mean, number one is that, you know, there's barely enough hours in the day. Well, there isn't to actually make a living off these apps. You know, we know people yeah. who work 15, 16, yeah. 17 hours a day and they're still getting top ups from universal credit. So, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah. so, so, so when are you actually meant to lend the account if you can't even make enough money working ridiculous hours? But the flip side is you then get people who've been terminated. Um, who for no reason have been terminated. And then you get people who can get accounts, but they're, they're opening up this kind of black market where people are renting out, renting out their accounts to people who are desperate to work. So they're charging them like, you know, however much money per week just to be able to work. So you're getting, it's, it's absolutely crazy that this substitution clause hasn't actually allowed people to substitute, you know, for, for whatever reason. You know, it's actually opened up this two tier workforce within this like hyper exploitative, um, gig employment model that's just leading to people being even more exploited than those working for these companies. So, you know, and, and it, it's like, you know, if, if you were able to substitute, it would be in a situation where, say, your car broke down and you had to give the food to someone because, you know, you were going to get terminated if you didn't, if the food didn't make it there. But we're actually hearing yeah. of people who are getting accused of using a substitute, which supposedly you're allowed to do. And then they're terminated. So they're having a customer say, oh, the guy who turned up wasn't actually the person whose profile picture it was. 
you know, which most of the time it is, but it's dark and they have dark skin or something like that, or racially motivated kind of complaints that are leading to people. And they're actually getting terminated yeah. because they think it's someone else. But this is a whole next rabbit hole that, you know, I could go down and, and say, but yeah, the, the substitution clause is completely phony. Um, and it's just another loophole for these huge companies to just, you know, deny people all these rights, drive down the cost of labor and be able to just fire people at the click of a button to keep that churn rate going so they can just keep introducing lower and lower rates. One of the interesting cases I saw during the first lockdown, um, you were representing uh, workers, uh, riders and drivers for a company called the Doctors Laboratory. And they actually, they contracted to the NHS. They were, they were um, transporting COVID tests, I believe, uh, during that first lockdown. So it, it's incredible and these people were, you know, when everyone else was at home on furlough, they were still going out and, you know, providing this this incredibly important service without any rights at all, without even being registered as employees. So, so that was actually, um, that's my previous employer. So that was where I really got kind of started organising. I'd sort of worked for various, various career companies in London and I'd kind of reached a point where I ended up at this medical company. It was kind of the perfect place to start organizing because it was this huge private company that was doing work for the NHS. But we had a depot, so we were going in and out. So you were seeing the same faces every day. So you were able to start having these conversations about the kind of collective issues that were happening. And we, we started off being bogusly classified as independent contractors we all got organized. We all joined the IWGB. We managed to push the company and force them to recognize us as either workers or employees. Um, so we actually won worker status. We won the first kind of collective bargaining agreement in the gig economy in the UK. So I was actually getting paid nine hours a week to kind of go along um, by the company to kind of look after the workers. And we were having monthly meetings to kind of iron out any issues that were happening. Um, and then, as, as you said, like during the pandemic, we started to see more and more of these swabs coming in. And we were like, what are these? You know, oh, that COVID thing that we're kind of hearing on the other side of the planet. Oh, it's kind of turned up here. And we, we were doing this without any PPE. Um, we were doing this without any statutory sick pay, you know, if we got sick. Um, and, and obviously, I made a hell of a lot of noise about this situation um, and we, we organized the workers and you know we, we, we hammered the company into giving us PPE um, into kind of pitting certain securities in place in case people got sick but during the pandemic this is a huge private company that got the Premier League contract to do the regular testing on football players that got contracts at like yeah. Apple, Apple and Burberry to kind of regularly test patients and also got these huge like you know the nightingale hospital that opened out in um east london they got the contract the total for that. scam things yeah. that happened there yeah. exactly that was, that's that was not a hospital i know it was <laughs> it, it was it was crazy but basically this company was, was getting was getting all, all these contracts as it continued to kind of carve up the nhs and they said during the pandemic like oh um we're having financial difficulty we're going to have to get rid of 10 workers um, out of 150 because we're so, we're so financially kind of struggling, which is just simply untrue. 
And surprise, surprise, I was one of those workers. So we went through a redundancy process and we, we absolutely hammered the company, which was amazing. We had this 30 day window and it culminated in a strike, um, but also a picket line outside their headquarters office in Sydney. So we managed to organize a load of, a a load of like, comrades to go and picket them they did a big drive around beeping their horns big picket out the front um which was amazing you know i ended up with without a job which was you know a bit sad but fortunately well, i'm still working out if i've landed on my feet on my ass by being the president because it's just been so hectic yeah. um but yeah no no it was it was an amazing campaign and i've actually got my tribunal coming up next month um where we're taking them to court over trade union detriment and whistleblowing um, cause they clearly just took me out because they just couldn't stand it. But we completely changed the complexion of that company. We had, we got workers there who were, you know, starting salary of like 34k. They get paid holiday. Um, they get pensions. There's Brilliant. fair prices. Yeah. They're getting provided all of their equipment. So we completely turned it on its head. We cost the company absolutely millions. Um, while they're now having to kind of give people secure contracts. So. You know, nice. I caused a lot of noise and I probably would have tried to take myself out as well if I was them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's 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 big congratulations, obviously. And uh, yeah, good luck with the tribunal as well. Um, but yeah, like um, like I was sort of mentioning earlier as well, that you know, during the pandemic in particular, this topic of gig workers has really, really come to the forefront, right? You know, because I mean... It's been apparent to at least uh, myself, I'm sure, and, and many, many other people that this has become a, a this, this is a, a sort of growing trend, especially with the proliferation of the app economy into more and more facets of our of our everyday life. But, you know, these kinds of services have obviously become all the more important, especially delivery and logistics, you know, during during the pandemic has become, you know, possibly the most important thing. Right. And. It's really kind of brought out, you know, at the same time that these the CEOs of these companies are making an absolute killing um, during the pandemic, you know, like their wealth has increased by God knows how much. But I mean, just by absurd, absurd, obscene amounts, um, while at the same time, workers rights are essentially, um, well, with with the exceptions of, you know, like you're saying, these cases where unions like RWGB, um, you know, are fighting back. Uh, generally, you know, they are becoming even more insecure um, at this time, you know. So uh, obviously, recently, the report coming out about Ocado workers, for example, getting paid something like less than £4 an hour in in certain cases, while their CEO, I think, made something like £57 million in 2019. Um, so, but it's, uh, it, it's important to also stress that the apps like Deliveroo and Uber are absolutely hemorrhaging money. Even though the CEOs are making, obviously, getting a sure. very good uh, wage out of it. I mean, Uber is probably the the biggest losing company of all time. It's got about, uh, is sort of a net income of about minus four billion or something a year. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, and, and I mean, really, it's, it's just uh, like all these platforms... Uh, like Uber, Deliveroo, and also you can you can put big companies like Google, Amazon into this uh, into this category as well. They're just wringing wringing the towel for the last few drops. It's it, they represent very much like the the death rattle of capitalism, and they're just they're extracting rent from the these gigantic platforms which they've 
they've taken control of uh, people's data. They're extracting that, and they're uh, it's it's the the actual you know industrial and productive base of the West is no longer worth anything, and the the only thing left is this kind of like digital rentier economy. Yeah, this is it. And, um, you know, like I was mentioning before as well, and I'm pretty sure I brought this up in the podcast as well before, the work of Zygmunt Bauman, you know, something that really resonated with me, in particular, you know, when you're looking at something like the gig economy, and this is something that, you know, has, has um, you know, come into my head multiple times over the last sort of decade or so, just seeing the widening gig economy um in, like I said, you know, every every single facet of our lives, it, it really sort of, uh, I think, illustrates more than anything else this idea of liquid modernity that, that Zygmunt Bauman talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just to sort of give a sort of brief summary, I mean, um, and I'm probably going to do a bad job of this, and someone who knows a lot more about this listening <laughs> might, might, you know, send a long thread correcting me. But um, generally speaking, you know, he, he describes li- liquid modernity as... Um, as a way to sort of describe uh, present day life under consumer capitalism, and especially, like you're saying, you know, as the industrial bases of the, you know, these uh, countries in the global north have vanished, um, and, you know, we've um, gone more towards a service sector economy and a consumer economy, um, that, you know, we've got the situation where this can only really exist with Partially, there needs to be a um, a globalized manufacturing class, you know, which is in the global uh, which is in the global south, which is producing these goods at you know basically ho- horrendous conditions, very exploitative conditions, and there needs to be a domestic class of people, um, which is also doing service sector jobs, uh, also under really shit conditions, um, and that the labor of these both of these groups of people are essentially erased in the general sort of public perception, yeah. um, and. You know, you've got this process of alienation, you know, which is working in in multiple different ways here. You know, you've got on the one hand, you know, you've got this app, you just open it up and you just press what food you want. And then it's just at your doorstep in 20 minutes. Right. And if you want, you can have not had any interaction with a single human being um, in order for that to have happened. You know, even for the person who's just dropped it off at your door, they can have literally just you can leave a, a note for them to just drop it off in front of your door. You don't even have to communicate with them. So not only is this alienation working in um, in terms of alienating product of, of one's labor from the labor, so the actual, you know, the, the people that are actually doing the work, manufacturing the stuff, cooking the food, making these clothes in horrible sweatshops or whatever. But then also, I think in terms of the, the workers themselves, and, and I think this is why um, trade unionism and, and organizing is so important here, because like one of the uh, sort of key components of this line of work is that it alienates workers from one another. And it doesn't allow them to, um, you know, to organize and to actually, um, you know, because where do you, you know, organize, you know, you, you know, you, you go to the pub after work, right? And, and like, these are, these are people that you, that you know, on a sort of face to face basis, right? But that basis is oftentimes not there in these kinds of jobs, right? I, I, what, what I was going to sort of, um, was going to come back on a couple of things there, because I think, you know, the, the, the workers that we kind of represent as, as a union tend to be these, these atomized workers. You know, there's, there's only mm-hmm. so much you can say to another delivery rider when you're pulling up at a traffic lights. Um, exactly. Without them thinking you're completely mad and just whizzing off, you know, when you try and get them, oh, what we should do is you should, do, and they sort of have whizzed off before you know it. 
Um, and that, that is the beauty of some of the places where we've had some success is where they have these collections of workers, like at the depot at TDL, where we're having some mm-hmm. success, success at Ocado at the moment. Um, but what we've had to create is because it's such an atomized workforce, it's completely fractured. It's the perfect breeding ground for the gig economy, the courier industry, private hire driver industry, you know, the yoga industry, yeah. nanny industry, foster care workers. These are all industries. You know, those ones I mentioned at the end aren't ones that you would think of with the gig economy, but they're all ones that are infested with this sort of bogus um, classification well, of workers as, as self-employed. It, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we've had to create these spaces, you know, within the union, whether they're WhatsApp groups, whether they're Facebook groups, whether they're, you know, the array of different ways that you can bring these people together to create, you know, a digital kind of shop floor. You know, these are the factory workshops where people are starting to organize, where they're starting to communicate their common issues. Um, and that's, that's one of the things we're trying to do as a union. That's why they say, you know, we're organizing some of the unorganizable that have slipped through the cracks of, you know, some of the bigger unions. But what I was also going to say as well was that, you know, I think it's so true what you were saying about this sort of, you know, people can just order something at the click of a button and it turns up at their door. And if it isn't how they ordered it, you know, they don't give a crap about the worker or whatever. They're going to complain and they want that person terminated. And, you know, whatever, whatever has to happen, they're just not happy because the burger they ordered doesn't look how it did in the picture or whatever. And, you know, we're... One of the strongest things that we have to do as a union is to, is to try and humanize um, these industries because it is this smash and grab happiness of the consumers yeah. that we're trying to remind them, like, do you know what has gone in to that burger turning up at your front door or, yeah. you know, that, that driver getting you from A to B? That we have to exactly. describe these very individual kind of people and, and sort of tell them about the story, tell them what they're trying to support, tell them... You know, they've had the bailiffs knocking on their door because someone put in a bogus complaint because their food they said was cold, but they just wanted a free meal. Um, And that's what we've been trying to do. But I mean, also what you were saying about like Ocado, um, one of the things that's quite surprising, we've got this like big campaign starting to really gather some steam at Ocado. And Ocado's a company that people would think is quite an ethical employer. Um, it's quite an ethical business that, you know, compared to Tesco, their, their kind of USB has always been, you know, we're not like those big supermarkets. We do things differently. We treat our work as well. But what we've got with this campaign that's kicking off in West London, that actually we're, we're going really big on it tomorrow. So super excited about that. Um, is nice. we've got a cardo that have their de- normal delivery service. But what they've seen is that this sort of rapid delivery is the future for them. So they've set up yeah. this where they've set up this warehouse in West London where people can get rapid delivery of groceries. And instead of, you know, investing in employees, how they do with, you know, as they put out in sort of press releases trying to debunk what we've said, ninety-nine percent of their, you know, drivers are employees. Um, they they've set up this this gig model out of this warehouse where they've subcontracted out to Stuart Delivery, who are just like Deliveroo and Uber, who do everything for mm-hmm. our app, starve people of rights. Um, and and because they thought, right, we're going to have a punt. We're going to have a punt into the rapid delivery. And we're not going to commit. We want to have this no string. So we're going to use this gig model because we know that unless they're delivering stuff, we're not paying for them to work around. So off the back of these workers who are pretty much like 100% 
um, BAME migrant workers, which is quite yeah. typical yeah. of the gig economy. They built up this business in West London to such a level where these guys are now churning out from, from zero deliveries and now doing like two to 3,000 deliveries a day out of this little warehouse, yeah? And, you know, having done this through the pandemic, we got guys out there who caught COVID, who had pregnant partners. One of the guys, mm. like his, his, his yeah. father passed away from COVID. He also had COVID, but he had to get out and carry on working. At the, as, as the pandemic's starting to look like it might be winding down, but who the hell knows what's going to happen next? Um, they've suddenly switched from one platform to another, which pays even less and which yeah. treats the workers even worse. Um, mm. And these workers have kicked off and they've said, what the hell? Like, what after the shift we've put in, um, yeah. this is just not right. So we've organized the workers there. It's been a depot that I've been going back to on a regular basis. We've got great union density. We've got some some really good guys who are really up for kind of like hitting them and not giving up until we hold them to account. Um, and they're pushing to be bought in-house. Um, they don't want to be employees. They want to be Limby workers. They've invested in their cars. They have overheads. They don't want to be suddenly put on the bare minimum with the bare minimum statutory rights. They know what they want. They want the flexibility. They want to be driving their own vehicles and they want to get that slightly more pay of like 14, 15, 16 quid an hour. And they're, yeah. they're, they're willing to fight until they've got that. But I, I guess the thing is as well, where you're just seeing like even like a household name, like a Cardo thinking, yeah, you know, this is where the money is. You know, this is where we need to be placing our future. And it's in this super kind of exploitative model of just yeah. just treating workers absolutely awful. And they build up a business and then they move on. And, you know, now now that these guys have got organized, um, Ocado on Friday announced they're going to be bringing everyone in-house. And we were like, oh, what's this? Um, but the in-house that they're talking about isn't to bring our guys in-house. They're trying to flush them out. They're trying to bring bring in a load of agency workers who they're going to be putting on zero-hour contracts so they've gone from one one awful mode of employment of the gig economy to outsourcing yeah. through zero hour agency workers so it's <laughs> it's just it's just insane yeah. and like i said it's the fact yeah. that even a household name like Ocado are thinking yeah we might as well have a dabble because that's how we're going to make loads of money for our ceo who's on 57 58 however many million a year and they've actually got the biggest pay gap between the ceo and the sort of medium worker um, but but it's great. I mean, for for us, it's like it's absolutely awful. But to see the resolve of these workers, who are all finding their voice, who are all so up for taking action, it's been super ins- inspirational. And if we can get a big win at the likes of Ocado, you know, we can kick on and and keep recruiting and keep growing. But it's been a fantastic campaign. It's you know, it's gonna keep building. So keep the eyes eyes peeled on on the headlines tomorrow. Um, and and yeah, come on down to demos you know, support us, chuck money in the strike fund um, because these these workers really yeah. deserve the support because these are the exact same people that people were applauding throughout the pandemic. You know, they exactly, were literally yeah. catching COVID and dying. So, what yeah. you were saying about the, like, the atomized workers, I remember when I, when I joined the union uh, at the start, I, it was pretty much the first time I'd ever spoken to an actual human about the job. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 incredible yeah. how much they they they're prepared to isolate people very very intentionally like you said these it's it's about fragmenting people so there's no uh, there's no, there's no prospect of them 
collectivizing in any way even if it's not necessarily joining a union but just even if it's just sort of bitching about the job to each other and i think that that was the appeal to the union when i joined it i think uh, just joining these like whatsapp groups speaking to people about it it actually it blunted and softened the inherently callous nature and very uh, very empty nature of the job but i think um what, what's interesting about the iwgb is it's they they are prepared to to be political to to uh, gain a political voice with MPs and to to disrupt things and you know make a noise like you said uh, through that channel. I think it was uh, Zara Sultana and Dawn Butler, people like that. They they've been uh, really keen to uh, to back your cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, right around the delivery IPO, it was it was amazing how things sort of fell into place because. You know, as I said before, we have to be really aggressive and, and kind of, you know, the size of these companies nowadays, you know, gone are the days where a good old fashioned picket outside the front of a building could, you know, yeah. get get the employers cowering. Like, not that it was ever that easy, like by no means belittling yeah. like any of those kind of old school modes that had to be utilized. But, you know, we're talking about places that a lot of the time don't even have a physical kind of office. Um, especially now that yeah, people are kind yeah, of working exactly. from home. So we have to be super strategic. And, you know, we found that, you know, engaging investors and actually exposing companies to the investors is a great way. So we have to utilize, you know, the press. We have to try and engage investors. We have to engage the public. Um, we have to, you know, get MPs fighting for us because quite often these companies can't hide from MPs. And then we also have to back that up with on the ground action because you can't turn to an investor and go, Hey, you know, Tesco, you shouldn't be using delivery because they're hyper exploitative. They're going to go, yeah, whatever. But if you turn to them and go, Hey, Tesco, you shouldn't be using delivery because they're really exploitative. And we're going to boycott all of your Tesco's in Sheffield and we're going to have mass strikes outside them. And we're going to go after your investors who have all these kind of corporate commitments to being, you know, sustainable supply chains and all of this. And then all of a sudden it's this sort of crescendo of like, Oh God, what are we going to do? And in the build up to the IPO, it was this, you know, we created an investor brief that really clearly outlined exactly how awful delivery are we organized on the ground action we had the backing of mps we had the backing of the public and what we saw in the build-up was one by one these huge investors which had never been done before declaring themselves out and it wasn't you know it's not unusual for investors to sort of say i'm not investing or just not invest what is really unusual was the way that they were publicly washing their hands with delivery and i think i think it turned out there was like well over 10 who just literally publicly said, like, I'm not investing in delivery and citing workers' rights as, you know, the main reason. So although delivery are still, you know, utterly deplorable employers, you know, the way that they were publicly kind of absolutely berated around the IPO, they had what's been described as the biggest IPO flop in London history with workers' rights at the centre of it, you know, is a, is a sign of the incredible work that we're doing. The um so yeah the IPO on the first day the price fell by thirty percent over thirty oh, percent actually wow. <laughs> so it, it was it was the least successful of all time and yeah like, like Alex was saying like a big part of that was the, the noise that unions were making is they people yeah. were speaking up about workers' rights but also I think I think it was it was exposed how empty the actual 
nature of the business is i mean really what what delivery and uber profit from is this ultra it's an extension of sort of lean manufacturing which became big in the sort of 70s and 80s except they took it one step further to the extreme that they they outsourced all of the capital to the actual workers so i mean it, it is, is nothing it. but yeah. a digital platform Uber don't own cars; they make exactly. the workers own their own cars, and delivery. Same, do the thing, same, with thing. same exactly, thing with Airbnb. Exactly, exactly. They don't, they don't, um, earn, they don't own any property, so that they're, they're capitalists who don't earn capital. They're just rentiers extracting a rent from something they don't even own. I mean, and I think it, the IPO and also you know Uber's recent sort of cata- financial catastrophes. It's it's the birds coming home to roost in that in that regard when people discover that there's. It, at the end, it is just illusory. There is there is nothing tangible or real behind these companies at all. Yeah, and like what's what's always sort of been interesting to me is that you know, especially sort of coming back to this um, to the idea of you know liquid modernity and what this ideal worker in this kind of society is, you know, constantly at the whims of capital themselves. You know, they they yeah. don't have any roots in any one place. Like, there's nothing that sort of sums that up better than the gig economy, essentially, right? What's what sort of always struck me is, you know, those images of during the Depression, for example, you know, those kind of public squares where someone will be like giving out jobs and there'll be a queue of people sort of there to take the job and they'll, you know, go for the whoever gives them basically the lowest price. And essentially, it's the same thing. Right. You know, I mean, we've just got we've just got these apps, these platforms, which facilitate that exact transaction you know that exact um you know relationship which is happening and this is why like you were saying you know like this is infecting all sorts of other industries like you know like being a nanny or you know like but it's not just down to Deliveroo and 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 uh, airbnb and um and uber anymore you know so it's you know this is a type of thinking you know and and just the fact that like you were saying you know you don't own anything yourself you know everything is this kind of rentier economy and you know essentially all you're doing is is facilitating that transaction and um you know in the end everyone is exploited except for yourself (laughs) you know you're you're making the big bucks (laughs) the uh, the the words which you know delivery used to describe their employment model or you know not an employment model because no one's an employee they say you know it's fluid it's flexible but the real problem is these aren't words which describe the human condition i mean there's nothing there's nothing flexible or fluid about people i mean like think what if, if you've got a kid, if you've got a child, that's 18 yeah. years. There's nothing flexible about that. Exactly. Well, most mm-hmm. people, they want to, you know, live in the same house or apartment for more than a month. They want to have some sort of, you know, people want to build roots. They want something mm-hmm. concrete in that regard. And the the ephemeral and fleeting aspect of the gig economy, it's, it's, it's very degrading. It's almost like a mutilation of, of the human condition to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, what's what's super super depressing about? Well, not super depressing because you know I take a lot of optimism as the way we're fighting back, and and you know what we're seeing now is we are seeing employers enter the market um, with more ethical contracts. Um, sort of three four years ago, we were seeing apps popping up, you know, in London, and they'd be replicating the likes of Deliveroo and Uber. But now we're actually seeing, you know, the likes of Gorillas and Getir. I don't know if you guys have seen these ones popping up, but they're actually offering 
employment contracts. Um, get here, which is these guys who wear sort of purple and yellow. Um, I'm sure there's yeah. loads of work to, you know, I'm not by no means sort of bigging these guys up too much, but the contracts are, they're offered all of their uniform, they're given bikes, they're given 28 days paid holiday, um, they're offered at least a London living wage. And there's various things that, you know, these are signs. And, and, and with, with the industries that we're organizing in, you do have to read between the lines to spot these victories. And although, you know, Deliveroo and Uber are still operating like, you know, absolutely awfully, that you are seeing competitors enter the market and trying to take them on with more ethical contracts. And again, that's another yeah. sign of the pressure we're putting on. But what I was saying as well was that I was reading some Steinbeck and you're sort of, you're reading about these, these huge kind of companies going around and mm. with the pamphlets like flyering workers and getting them all to turn up in one place. And it's only when they turn yeah, up yeah. that it's not exactly what's on the sort of flyer that they're offering. Yeah it's something ridiculously lower and they're just basically saying to them, you know, either you can take it or go and starve. And yeah. 70, 70 years on, we're sort of seeing a digital version of of that, which is happening with the likes of Deliver and Uber. They're, they're putting out, they've got these huge PR machines that are sort of selling this bogus idea of flexibility that's saying, you know, work when you want, earn when you want. They even say in their PR, like you can make like a thousand pounds a week and, and all of this, which is just simply untrue. Yeah. Um, but they're getting all these people going, yeah, that sounds great. And they sign up and they take out these huge leases on, on cars, you know, electric vehicles, all these yeah. kind of things that they say, if you get an electric vehicle, we'll, we'll let you access even more work. So you get these people taking these huge, like loans, these huge gambles to come and work for these companies. And it's yeah. just not what they're selling. And they're saying, well, basically, what are you going to do? We're going to pay you this. And, and maybe next week, we're going to pay you even less. And next week, we're going to pay you even less. And there's nothing you can do. You can go work somewhere else. But now we've got you because you've actually, like, you know, pledged yourself to us by taking all these overheads. And we're just going to run you dry. And, you know, that's what's happening. But we're actually managing to kind of harness the anger, harness, you know, the desperation of these yeah. people and, and get them to kind of realize that it doesn't have to be like this um, and to start to fight back. And we are seeing wins, you know, across the industry. We are seeing the complexion of the gig economy in the UK and across the world changing. Um, we just got to keep the tempo up because, you know, the bigger we get, the harder they fight. Um, and, and we just got to keep going, got to keep recruiting. Um, but yeah, it is hard because these people are paid so low. Um, so little yeah. amounts that when you're trying to get them to sort of pay for a union membership that beyond, yeah. you know, WhatsApp groups and creating spaces and organizing, it, it doesn't offer them that much more. But it's about, you know, investing in something and getting active and, you know, really working with yeah. other workers and making small changes, whether they're boycotting a restaurant to make sure there isn't any more waiting time that can mean that you're making that much more per hour right up to, you know, yeah. massive IPO strikes, which knock billions off the valuation, which, you know, workers' rights are centre to. Um, mm. But it's communicating yeah. this with the workers to try and keep them, keep the morale high when they're just getting absolutely hammered by their employers. I think uh, a lot of the political leniency around the gig economy stems from the fact that it's, it obfuscates employment figures and it, it paints a rosy picture yeah. of the economy. I mean, in, in some Western countries, uh, gig economy workers, they represent almost 10% of the workforce. That's a hell of a lot of people. I mean, when, when you think of 
an employment rate of 5% compared to 15 and that that's a huge deal it's it's make or break for uh, the incumbent parties yeah. uh, in 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 a lot of countries and so th- this is why they've been allowed to to circumvent uh and well invent this new category of a non-worker this this contractor and mm-hmm. it, and they've done so with relatively little lobbying i think um, I know. I know there is. They do have some political clout, especially companies like Uber. But generally speaking, it's been it's been sort of a natural process. The way they they've just sort of fitted in and and slowly sort of slid into the economy of the of the late twenty tens. Well, yeah, it just seems like you know, like a sort of natural progression of uh, Reaganite Thatcherite economics, right? You know, like this of this constant deregulation to the point that. You know, like I said, ultimately, you've got the situation where uh, you yourself are the product that you also have to market and sell yourself, basically, right? You know, you, you don't have any sort of security, any sort of um, stability at all uh, in your job. And, uh, you know, you're, you're constantly pitching for jobs, essentially. And yeah, I mean, that's that's the ultimate sort of, that's, that's the free market wet dream, right? You know, that's, that's ultimate yeah. free labor. <laughs> Yeah, and what 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 you see as well is that you know the likes of like Deliveroo, um, especially you know they've got you know four former Tory spin doctors who are now sitting yeah. on their boards, and and it's it's they're just jumping between um, the Tory party and these these huge businesses, um, and yeah, obviously it's opening the floodgates to this this kind of hyper exploitative mode of employment, and you know with the lack of enforcement in the UK, it's all left to trade unions to organise workers who are so indoctrinated into this sort of capitalist way of thinking. They're more interested in treading on other workers' heads than kind of organising and fighting back against the employers that are exploiting them. I mean, I've Mm -hmm. I've, I've had these huge arguments on, on street corners where I sort of will say to a worker, like, you know, you're being denied holiday pay. You're being denied, you know, minimum wage protections and you're being denied a, a pension. They go and they say, what, you want to make me an employee? And I said, you yeah. know, I'm like, would that be the worst thing? But no, I'm not. I'm trying to get you these rights. And, and they'll be there going, you know, you're trying to take away this, this, this bogus flexibility. And it's yeah. like, how many hours a week do you work, mate? They're like, oh, yeah. you know, 60 hours a week. It's like, where's the flexibility there? Yeah. And it's just, it, it's, you know, the, these companies know that. And they know that workers will be more interested in kind of going after people who they think are kind of trying to take their job, trying to cheat the system. And, and they're, they're pouring, you know, petrol on the fire of this. And they get, it's this real dog eat dog culture that means that they can just be getting away with murder at the top. And, and all these workers are too busy fighting each other. So what we always have to do and, and, you know, sort of speaking in these chats, you hear these things kicking off and, and stuff like that. And you just have to tell the workers, you know, this is the product of the system that we're trying to change. And, you know, the longer you two fight each other, the longer they're going to get bigger and stronger. So what we need to do is we need to work together, go after these guys and, and sort of make sure you guys are getting the conditions that you're being, you know, illegally denied, basically. I think about the whole, you know, flexibility, freedom argument, you know, you get a lot of people saying, oh, I don't want to be employed, you know, they, they've bought into this idea that they're, you know, they're somehow liberated. Is They don't think that 
Uber, Deliveroo, they're stealing all of their data as well. They're yeah. just hoovering <laughs> up all of their personal data. And it's not it's not something that worries the average person. I mean, most people just hit like the uh, allow cookies button without thinking about it. But um, it's, it's it's incredible, really, um, when you when you think about these these fr- like individualist free market arguments. That um, it's it's almost like a these companies get to double dip because they they make a obviously Uber Deliveroo they they charge for their services, but then they get to also dip into this pool of of data of um being a huge platform and entrenching their monopoly position uh throughout all of this uh this knowledge that they gain through their operations and also that they because uber and delivery they use google maps um as part of their apps so they also they they give a lot of information to Google and they um they they do just contract out Google Maps for certain things. Yeah, I mean there's all sorts of stuff that they're kind of harvesting. Like I heard, yeah. you know, you know it's not hundred percent backed up, but one of the reasons that Amazon, you know, invested heavily in Deliveroo, um, was so they could access some of this data. And you know the emergence of of these dark kitchens. Um, for those that don't yeah. kind of know about them, they're these kind of industrial estates that open up in these tiny pockets that are selling, you know, quite well known sort of high street restaurant names. You know, the likes of I, I don't know, just all all sorts of kind of restaurants that you know are just basically you order food on the app and it's actually being made yeah. in some tiny little kitchen um, in some tiny bit of land. And it's because they're, they're literally harvesting the data. They'll find out like, oh, in Bethnal Green, loads of people order burgers. Um, therefore yeah. we, we know there's a huge demand. So we will create the delivery <laughs> burger vendor that then just starts selling all this stuff. So, I mean, some of the restaurants, some of these independent restaurants, they're actually buying into something that will be their own demise because suddenly they realize that, you know, loads of people like Japanese food here because this restaurant's getting loads of orders. Therefore, we're going to open up our own kitchen and make it a competitor that's ultimately going to have more financial backing to completely yeah, yeah. knock out the independent restaurant that we're charging 35% commission anyway. And then it, it's just it's just crazy. But like you said, I mean, they're exploiting the workers, they're harvesting the data, and then they're just creating competitors to these independent restaurants that eventually yeah. just takes them out. But if the, if the independents aren't on delivery, they have no chance of competing. And that's yeah. it's really important to say that is where the interest comes from. That this this is how they manage to attract so much venture capital. Because I mean, there's nothing inherently unique or interesting about Uber or Deliveroo. They're not they're not doing you know creative destruction or, or any of these terms which they uh, they refer to themselves with. All they do really, I mean, Uber's a taxi company. Deliveroo it's an app that facilitates takeaways. But it's the data that they can harvest, the way they can uh, collect and collate this huge amount of information that can be can be used to garner this this monopoly position and and win a competitive advantage. That is the appeal to capitalists, and that that is why they've been allowed to absorb so much capital. And in the case of Uber, run these huge debts, you know, hemorrhage money all over the place. But it doesn't matter because. They're working towards their final position as the monopolist taxi company on a global scale, in which case they'll be able to well, do whatever they want, you know, charge rents and, you know, um, contract their services, and, you know, make up prices for, for whatever they want. 
it's it's the it's the end destination which matters in their case yeah and um i think it's worth mentioning as well that uh, because of the deregulation in these uh sectors and with a lot of these companies at least up until fairly recently they've also been the target of a lot of immigration enforcement raids um yeah. and um you know ex- for example i mean I, I remember seeing a few months ago it was either the Home Office themselves or it was one of the South London, you know, local borough police departments um, talking about them doing a successful immigration raid on delivery drivers in um, Tooting, I think it was. And, you know, they found two people in like one hour of searching. They found two people who were undocumented. And I'm just thinking, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like in the middle of this pandemic, yeah. like, you know, pretty much, you know, the people who've been doing pretty much like the most essential work um yeah you know who are getting paid like shit and who are getting treated like shit anyway and those are the people that you want to be going after and obviously you know because of um you know because of like i said the, the fact that these uh, industries are so deregulated it, it also means that it accommodates for a lot of um you know undocumented people to work uh, but then also therefore be exploited really, really fucking yeah. badly. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, it's not, I mean, I mean, undocumented people, I mean, they should be allowed to work. I mean, they should, they shouldn't need documents in the first place. Right. That's not, that's not the fucking point. But the fact is when they, when it's kind of within this, um, within this, this, uh, setup, it just means that they're open to far more exploitation because they have literally no recourse to any rights. And the, um, a key thing is that all of these apps, all of these tech startups rely on Amazon Web Services. And mm. Amazon now, of course, is a gigantic player in both the US military and uh, US uh, immigration enforcement, mm. uh, ICE yeah. and uh, yeah. Homeland Security there. So it is, it, they are, not only are they assisting the UK government with the, these uh, horrendous raids and stuff, they're also um, providing a lot of data towards this this monolithic company in the US, which is, um, yeah. y- you know, pretty much a branch of the US government at this point. I think, I think what you were saying was um, about the, the kind of incident that happened in Tooting. It's something that we've kind of heard about quite a few times with these these sort of immigration raids where they are you know, racially profiling, um, you know, gig gig workers um, and they're stopping them, they're doing these searches and it's because they know, you know, these guys are black or brown workers and, and they're going after them and yeah, they might be finding some undocumented workers but what we're, you know, what we are finding while we're organising, I mean, I mentioned earlier how yeah, MPs are, are backing what we're doing and um, we're also having, you know, incredible organisations like BLM um, who've, who we've been working with recently um, who are helping us call out the hypocrisy of these huge corporations who are putting out absolute fluff, um, you know, when when these huge issues happen, these huge flashpoints, you know, the big BLM movement last summer, you know, delivery is right out there, you know, pitting out some statement in solidarity and all this kind of stuff. Yet, you know, they're, they're nowhere to be seen when their workers are being racially profiled and the fact that you know i'd i'd say that the the gig economy is indirectly um discriminatory in the sense that you know it's racist you know it's no surprise that all of these workers well not all of them but they're predominantly black or brown workers they're majority migrant workers it's no surprise that these are people who are terrified to talk back some of whom are undocumented and, you know, but yet these companies are still pushing this narrative. And that's why it's great to have 
organisations like BLM calling them out in broad daylight for the hypocrisy. And I think it's this is just another combination that you can use to hammer these companies, you know, when they've got investors who are, you know, saying stuff about, um, you know, diversity and inclusion. And they have all this stuff in their ESG about, about these kind of things that they deeply care about. And then you've got a company like Delivery who are essentially racist in the way that they're exploiting um, these workers. Um, and it's, yeah, we just got a, it's just fantastic to have people on board and it just, it's calling out this hypocrisy on every single level and going after them and, and just calling them out and holding them to account for it. But yeah, I mean, the stuff with the police and the racial profiling and the fact that they were kind of like, they whacked it up on social media and were like celebrating it off the back of, you know, the pandemic. But it was really good to see like so many people locally like jumped on it and were yeah. absolutely horrified by it and that thing completely blew up kind of got removed um, and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's just shocking to see people going after these low-paid workers, some of the most vulnerable people in society, and still they're being tar- targeted by sort of law enforcement. You know, they're not being abused enough by the companies they work for. They've also got the police coming after them too, which is just like, what? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, before we do st- sort of start wrapping things up, I mean, um, because you mentioned that there is reason to be optimistic, right? So... Yeah, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, some of the sort of notable wins that you guys have had, but also other groups maybe have had, um, you know, in terms of organizing when it comes to the gig economy. Um, do, you want, do you want to tell us a bit, a bit about some of that? Yeah, I, I, like, I like the way you want to end on like a positive vibe. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, like rightly so. I mean, I, I mentioned before how, you know, with a lot of these things, you have to read between the lines to kind of see the victories. These companies would never want to let you know, the unions or the workers let on that, you know, they are making waves. But what we're hearing yeah. through through people that we work with is that, you know, the name, the IWGB is popping up in more and more boardroom meetings, um, that these, these places are actually having to really try and think of ways to break up the kind of incredible work that we're doing. We've had, you know, the big win with Uber um, that we, we played a big part in. Um, where they've now got holiday pay, they've now got pensions. There's still a lot of work to yeah. be done there. But, but yeah. the, the sort of like knock on effect of that is that, you know, that set a premise for when we bring further worker status claims forward that we can continue to win through the courts. And now workers know that it is possible. You know, what I said, what, what I argued with workers was a possibility has now been proven by Uber. They always thought that, you know, if Uber were to give holiday pay, if Uber were to give pensions, the flexibility element would disappear. But we're seeing workers continue to operate in, you know, log on, log off when they want. And they're still they're still doing exactly that, but they're getting enhanced rights. And now we've got that as a bargaining chip. So big victory there. Um, you know, we're 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 absolutely hammering a card at the moment and we're seeing movement from this huge company there as well. Um, you know, we're seeing the trade union membership shrinking. However, the IWGB is continuing to grow by the day. And I mean, we've mostly spoken about, um, the gig economy, um, on this podcast, but we're seeing more and more victories for outsourced workers. You know, the University yeah. of London, we had a huge yeah. victory with that branch where after a 10 year struggle, we had a load of workers bought in house and put on secure contracts. And again, like once you get these, these victories, you can use that as a blueprint to kick on. And again, you know, give these workers who are, 
who have no hope, you can give them hope, you can give them optimism, you can tell them of stories of low-paid workers organising and fighting back and winning, and it starts to get hope with the with these these work these really hard working people who, as you said, were the key workers who got us through the pandemic, who were the people who were bringing us food while we were hiding away at home and keeping safe and, and pretty terrified to go out. So definitely, yeah, hu- huge huge optimism. You know, I feel like I'm part of this incredible kind of power that is pushing back against these really dark forces. Um, it's an incredible it's an incredible thing to be involved in. You know, it's it's a really hard job that we have on our hands, but I feel like we're just mm-hmm. chipping away. And every day we're chipping away more and more. We're getting stronger and stronger. We are, you know, we are growing. We're setting an example. Um, we're fighting back. We're launching campaigns left, right and center. So, you know, if, you, if, if you're not someone who works within one of the industries that we represent, um, you can still get stuck in. You can still help us. You can look out for any campaigns that we're having, get yourself along yeah. to a demo, a picket, um, do what you can, chuck money in the strike funds. Um, as I mentioned before, we've got this huge campaign kicking off with Ocado. Um, so stuff's yeah. going to be popping off left, right and center until we get these guys the pain conditions they deserve. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hugely optimistic. You know, there are days mm-hmm. when it feels like, you know, things aren't going our way, but then you just sort of see people feeling empowered and people fighting back and you just realize that, you know, we we are seeing light. Um, sometimes you just have to look a bit harder for it. But yeah, super optimistic. I think uh, what is key is um, PR is so important to a lot of mm. these companies. They you've yeah. you've been mentioning like how how much you know uh, Ocado have been flustered um, by this this whole thing. And I think we've got a very online <laughs> fan base on this podcast. I would just say to everyone, you know, d- just be disruptive you know just share whatever you can uh if you you know if you see something give it a share you know and try try and spread the message about this try and try and embarrass these companies and give them a bit of a you know a bit of a bit of a rap online that's the thing like with these these investors who pulled out you know they don't actually give a shit about workers conditions they didn't give a shit about them when they were profiting off it before it's just once people found out once the public finds out, you know, then it's not such so good for your brand, right? You know? That's right. So at, That's the, right. at the, the least you can do is, you know, yeah, expose the really shitty practices of these companies, and yeah, stand in solidarity. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 called yeah, just calling them out for being complicit in this. You know, they try and keep keep yeah. this exploitation at arm's length. You know, everyone knows that Deliver and Uber are doing it, but when you show that they're complicit, um, yeah. there's nowhere to hide, and and the public shaming is what we got to do, whether it's on the doorsteps, whether it's online. Um, and, and the fact is, you know, some of these low paid workers, they need the support of the public to sort of, you know, show them that what they're doing is right and that they yeah. have the backing of the general public. Um, and that's why it's so important to support unions like IWGB, unions like UVW. When you hear there is action taking place, get out there, not just to, not just because it's what you should be doing. But to go and support these low-paid workers who are absolutely terrified, standing up against these huge corporations that are exploiting them, and they're just fighting for, they're not even fighting for huge pay rises. A lot of the time, they're fighting for the bare bloody minimum. They're fighting for things that you would assume are in any employment relationship, and these guys just aren't even getting that. So get yourself out there, support them, because it's the right thing to do, but it also means the absolute world to these low-paid workers. And the more we do that 
the more this snowball will grow and the more we'll be able to like flatten these companies and, and make them employ people ethically and humanize the gig economy. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's really inspiring as well, genuinely. Um, thank you uh, for, for all the work that you're doing as well. It's, uh, yeah, genuinely really, really vital stuff, um, especially especially right now and yeah like once again alex a, a massive thanks for, for coming on today and like i said as well did you have anything specific that you wanted to um, shout out or plug before we go any events or any social media or any fundraisers or anything like that so that i guess plug? yeah i guess you know keep your eyes peeled there's always campaigns popping off at the iwgb um what we are looking to launch um really soon but i'm not sure quite when is something called the solidarity squad which is where we're going to be trying to get you know supporters to contribute on a monthly basis um you know to to what we're trying to do here we have so many people who do support the incredible work we're doing but we are a union that is run on an absolute shoestring um we don't have many resources and we we need to keep fighting um so yeah i mean keep your eyes peeled for the solidarity squad and even if it's just a couple of quid a month Every single penny that we have goes into resources to support low-paid workers to take on these huge corporations. So, I mean, that's that's a plug. Um, but, yeah, I think one of the most important things is, though, yeah, just get out there, organise your own workplace, um, you know, fight back against these employers, you know, don't just look to support people. I mean, a lot of the time people think, oh, that's just something that's going on in an industry that I'm not involved in. But a lot of the time when you put your workplace under the microscope, you realize that you're being exploited and it's going to be this sort of daily resistance, you know, not just getting out for the big protests, but resisting on a day-to-day -day basis that is actually going to be what eventually means, you know, people stop getting exploited and treated like shit and that we can push back against this, this capitalist way that is just, you know, completely diminishing people's quality of life. So resist on the daily basis, support unions like the IWGB, and yeah, get out there and support low-paid workers as well. Absolutely. And um, yeah, once again, uh, a massive thanks for coming on today and for all your great work that you're doing. Best yeah, it's of luck my pleasure. With, uh, with all the campaigns moving forwards as well. Obviously. Yeah, nice one. Thanks, yeah. guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks yeah, very much. And, and um, yeah, as always as well, I'm, I'm Arjan at Arjanistan on Twitter. And I'm Rory at Rory Woods on Twitter. Uh, we're at Leftover Pod on Twitter. Uh, and on Patreon uh, as well uh, at uh, patreon.com forward slash leftoverpod. Massive thanks as always to all of our supporters and if you're able to help as well and if you're considering helping like what we do um, please do chuck us a few quid, it really does help and um, support IWGB support all the workplace organizing that's, that's, that's going on at the moment um, and uh, yeah like I said we'll be posting links to all of that stuff with the show notes yeah massive thanks to, to Sarah as always big shout out massive thanks to Cardio for the music to all of you for listening and we'll catch you guys next time cheers go to a cash machine to get a ticket home a message on the screen says don't make plans I broke no no this can't be right I know the time is tight I've only just